Praise God for what God's doing in the ladies at Grace Community Church. Praise God. Ah, it's just love hearing the stories and thinking about all the touches that were made, all the prayers that were offered, and how that's impacting your life and my, our lives and collectively this community. And, boy, this stage smells like TJ Maxx perfume aisle right now. <laughs> it's the best it smelled, I'm telling you, man, in, in, in weeks. It, uh, but, woo, praise God. What a great morning it's been, and what a great day it is to be here today. Sadrach, good to have you with us today, too. God bless you, brother. Glad you're with us. I'm excited about this book. It's challenging. Um, I don't pretend, and maybe uh, as you go through it, you're finding yourself, I don't know how I can have joy. And, and so God has written this good word for us. He's written it that we can apply it to our lives. Otherwise, Paul would have never written this book chained to two prisoners, giving us an opportunity to respond through our trials in ways that only Christians can. And I'll say this, that there is a cost when following Jesus. It should cost us something in light of him telling us in the Gospels that we should take up our cross every day and follow him. There's nothing rosy or peachy or easy about carrying a cross. There's sacrifice, there's pain, there's suffering that comes with that. But the benefit and payoff of that is far outweighs anything that we'll face on this side of heaven. Jesus said, he even said, in this world, in this life, you and I will have trouble. But then he reminded us, but I have overcome this world. And we know that we should not let our hearts be troubled because he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Have I not told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? And if that were not so, then I would not have told you. As we connect earth to heaven, it's a continuum. This is just a temporary place for us to live out our faith so that others will see in us something that's different than what they have so that they in turn can experience this great God who lives in us. But it will cost you something to follow him. I believe Paul was living out the gospel claims he had heard about while sitting in prison. Word was on the street, and he, he knew this encounter that he had with Jesus on Damascus Road. And so he's living out the gospel claims. It costs something. If your vehicle breaks down or if the engine warning light comes on, you find a way to get it to a mechanic. And so you might call the mechanic up and you might say, these, th these are the symptoms, this is what it's doing. Can I have an appointment with your shop? And so then he sets up an appointment. He, he or she takes it and looks at it, puts it on a computer, reads the code and said, this is what it is. So then they call you back and you're on the other end of the phone and you know it's the mechanic and he runs through this list and your question is what? How much will it what? Cost. And so you have to determine quickly, is it worth the cost to get this vehicle fixed? And so you make a decision. Do I want to improve the conditions of this vehicle? Do I want it to operate at optimal performance? If so, I'll pay the cost to have the work done. The same is true for us. There are moments in our lives, in our journeys, where there's struggles, there's hardships. We don't know if we can drive another mile. We don't know if we can go another inch. And so God has told us that he is who we can call on. It costs something 
to get us next day. It will cost something to get us the next week. And so Jesus said, by the way, I already paid the cost for your pain and your suffering. I paid it all at the cross. But we want instant gratification. And so just like a mechanic, we want to drive through. What day will you fix it? We hopefully know by that day on Wednesday, we drop it off, we leave, it's fixed. But God's timetable and his calendar is so much different. He sets the appointment, he's going to fix it, and he promises, promises to work all things out for our good. And so his appointment time might be different than ours. What our responsibility is to hold on because we hand it to someone who's already paid the cost. He's working it out and fixing it. And there will come a day when we have this trial, this struggle, this hardship. It will be worked out for good by the great mechanic called Jesus Christ. And Paul says we can respond in joy. Why? Because he promises to not leave us along the side of the road. He promises not to throw us to the, to the junkyard. He promises that he started this work and he will complete it and it will be a good work. In Jesus' name, amen, go home. That's all you need today. Like, if you get that down, that's good preaching. And that's what Paul said. So how did he, do we respond to trials? Grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. And let's read verses 27 to 30. I would ask you to stand with me, please. As we read this, if you're at home, stand. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. For Philippians chapter 1, let's read verses 27 to 30. Ready? Read. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God... For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You may have a seat. Our lives, you and me, our lives should reflect our gospel claims. And what I mean by that is what you say and what you believe and speak to everyone else, your life and my life should, should literally reflect what we speak and the gospel claims that we believe. So if we believe that God is with us and we believe that he'll never leave us nor forsake us and if we believe that he can work all things out for good and if we believe we have eternal life through the, the purchase of uh, or Jesus' life on the cross, then not only do we believe that, then we live as though it's true. And so we should reflect that in the way we live. Paul is writing to this church that he loves. And in verse 27, he begins by saying, whatever happens, what does he mean by that? Why would he put whatever happens? He says, whether I live or die, whether I'm released from prison or not released from prison, it should not change the way I live and you live. If I die, I get more of what I've always longed for, Jesus. Life will never be easy on this side of heaven. 
you and I will walk through fires. But know this with absolute certainty. You will never walk alone when you know Jesus. And he will be with you every step of the way. So whether you're sitting in the fire or you're sitting at a fish barbecue, conduct yourselves, Paul says, in a worthy manner manner of the gospel. One translation says it this way. Live your life as a credit to the gospel. I love that. Live your life as a credit to the gospel. In other words, our lives authenticates the gospel. The way you and I live credits the truths of the gospel. Our lives should authenticate the truths of the gospel. We should reveal in the way we live. This summer, when I was speaking, I spoke at Momentum Youth Conferences. I spoke in Ohio, and I spoke in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. And on my way back from Lidditz, Pennsylvania, I was traveling back home. And I came to a gas station, a toll road in Pennsylvania. And as I got at the gas station, there was a guy that pulled up beside me in a car. He was Middle Eastern, and he said, sir, can you help me with gas? He says, I don't have money for gas, and can you help me? And so... What should be our response? Absolutely. After all that God has given us, I should be able to help this brother out with gas. And I said, absolutely. So I pulled in behind him, got my credit card out, and stuck it in the pump, and he began to pump his gas. And as we're pumping gas, he filled up his tank, and then he says to me, I'd like to give you something for doing it. I said, no, I don't want anything. I said, Jesus has given me so much And I just want to bless you. He said, no, I want to give you something. So he reached out of his pocket and he said, I'd like to give you a gold ring. So in my hand is this gold ring. I tried not to take it. He said, no, I want to give you something for putting $100 of gas in my car. The reason I pumped the gas wasn't for the ring. And if you were to look at this ring, I don't know much about gold. I'm not a, a gold person or jewelry person. Some of you probably are. But on the inside of it says 18 karat gold. And it's heavy. And as best as I know, it's gold. And so I posted this on social media. And a few days later, one of my friends from seminary direct messaged me. And he said, Jim, I just want to let you know that you've been scammed. And so he said, and he sent me a link. And on this link was this, this, this word about a group of people that were going to gas stations and offering gold rings to the person that would put gas in their fakes. And so I told my friend, I didn't put the gas in to get the ring. But the truth is, I've never had it authenticated. And to be quite honest, I have no reason to. I didn't, I didn't give him that money to, in order to get this ring. But there is a standard that measures gold. And I'm sure if there's a jeweler in our congregation, and if you're able to, you could look at this and you would take a glass on it and look closely and you could see if this has been faked or forged and, and maybe you would pour something on it to see if it turns green. And, and I, but there is a standard and you could authenticate if this truly was gold. The measure by which you use determines whether this is gold. And Paul is saying the same thing. Our lives should measure up to the standard that's been set by Christ as Christians. And so the way we live should authenticate the measure and the standard for Christians. And so Paul says, whatever happens to me, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter. Conduct yourselves in a worthy manner. Why? Because we're children of God. 
I think about that a lot, and I have probably my whole life. And it directly impacts, and it should impact, the decisions that all of us make as Christ followers. It should impact how you live as a husband or wife or a brother or a sister or daughter or son or, or an employee. It should impact how you want to live out your legacy. But it could be the very reason someone else is unconvinced or convinced that you're the real deal. And so Paul says, no matter what's happening to you, suffering or hardship, respond in such a way that it's different and that it matches your gospel claims of what you said to be true, make your life match that. The word conduct has the idea to live as citizens of your origin. In other words, live like you're from heaven. And when Jesus said, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, we pray to pull heaven down to earth. The way we live must match the home we come from and are headed to. The world will draw conclusions by the way we respond to our hardships. What conclusions have they drawn this week from your life? How about your marriage as they look at it? What conclusions are they drawing? How about your words in the factory this week? How about when your team lost on Friday night and you were a Purdue fan? (laughs) I had someone that was in a group thread and when their team lost, all I saw next was left the conversation. (laughs) And we quickly screenshot it before he left. (laughs) But we should have enough good qualities to be considered worthy that match to us and the standard that's been given to us as Christ followers. Paul isn't the only one to say this. I love the book of James, and I I thought it was great that the ladies went through that book because James was Jesus' half-brother. And so James saw truly who Jesus was. And it wasn't until he got to the cross that his own family began to believe that he was the Messiah. But James wrote this in James chapter 1. Just listen, just listen. It's almost a replica of what Paul is saying in Philippians, but for emphasis, just listen. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, James said, Consider it pure joy. He didn't just say joy. Pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds... Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's just back that up. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if we bail out in the middle of the test, we get an incomplete from our professor. If you take a test and you don't finish it and you hand it in to your teacher, instructor, or professor, you might get an incomplete on it. And they might say, you need to retake the test. And the purpose of taking the test is to determine whether you understand what you've been taught. And it's the same way James is saying, we can't bail out, we can't 
drop out of this testing. In order to go through it, we must complete it so that we are mature and we are complete. We don't like that, though. God, get me out of this. God, I, come on, God, take care of this now. Instead of saying, what is it that God is trying to teach us through this journey? I don't want to bail out because I don't want to keep getting another test. And maybe for some of us, God is saying, hold on. I want you to become mature in your faith. And what is that? Trusting and leaning more on him through that journey. I've meditated on these words many times. I think on them often. When trials come my way and as hardships fill my resume, I've concluded this truth from from James. My life must reflect the gospel claims or I will never be mature in Christ. Never. And whether I want it or not, whether I feel like it or not, I can consider it pure joy when trials come. Listen to me. Why? Because that's what the word of God says. And not only does God say that and I say that, my actions must demonstrate that I believe that. And I can respond in the pit of hardship, being chained to the the soldiers and consider it joy. And I will persevere and become mature when I do instead of shortchanging the process. How can I question God when he proved his love for me and I consider the price of my redemption? Why would we question God? Think about what he's done for us. He gave his son, his one and only son, who died a brutal death for us. Thanksgiving time and Christmas time in our house, we often have turkeys. And so often my wife, who does a phenomenal job of getting the food together, will often put a thermometer in the turkey. And so this thermometer she keeps in a a drawer, and she puts a thermometer in the meat, and maybe you have other meat too. And so the meat goes into the oven, and the thermometer is placed in. And once the meat reaches a certain temperature, we know, or they tell us, and from experience, we know that the meat is finished. It's ready to be taken out of the oven. But what happens to most of us? What happens to me? I walk by the oven and I watch it. Why? Because, and I'll say, I'll say to Ann, is, is, is the turkey done yet? <laughs> I'm impatient. Like, I want that turkey. Come on, come on, boy, hurry up. I'm hungry. I, wa- I want to eat it now. Like, I want the meal now. And so if you're like me, I, I often go there and, and then I'll say something, Ann, you know, maybe that thermometer might be a little bit off. <laughs> it looks, it looks, and I'll say this. It looks done to me. But what happens if you pull that out of the oven and it's not finished and you shortchange the process of this being completed? What happens when you have fish and what happens when you have beef and what happens when, when, when you have brisket and, 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 and you pulled it out of the oven when it didn't run its full course of being in the fire and you eat it too soon and you take that first bite. If you like raw, it's good. But if you don't like raw like me, it's horrible. Why? Because it's not finished. 
How many of us are like, looks done to me. God, get rid of this. And we want to pull ourselves out of the oven that he has placed us in. And why does he place us in that oven? Why does he turn up the heat? Why does that happen? So that we can, hear me, be well done. But we don't like that, do we? We want to pull out too soon. Not only does Paul say that, not only does James say that, but listen, Peter said it too. Just listen, like for emphasis, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 7, just listen, says this. In all this, greatly rejoice, Peter said, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, hear me out, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus comes, Peter, James, and Paul are all saying, if there is true conversion, it will change the way you live in hardships. It should. Why? Because we got God with us. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. I can remember as a 13-year-old boy going on vacation for the first time with my older sister, Kim, who had a granddaughter. It was the first grandchild of the Brown Anderson family, and we were all excited. I was an uncle for the first time as a 13-year-old. And so Lindsay was nine months old, and so my mom and my stepfather that I live with decided that they would care for Lindsay for a week. It was an incredible gift. She was the joy of the family. She was the first grandchild of the family. And so mom and Andy, my stepfather, said, oh, it would be a joy to watch Lindsay at home, Kim, while you go on vacation with your dad. So my siblings and I, including my sister who's married and her husband, we went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And while we're on vacation about halfway through the week, one of the nights, Lindsay is back home with my mom and my stepfather, I was sleeping on the rollout sofa in this condo, and my sister woke up in the middle of the night screaming and yelling, and I wasn't certain what was going on as a 13-year-old, and she, just, she had just lost it. Unbeknownst to me, a phone call was made from my, step, from my stepfather who wanted to relay this information, that that morning when my mom walked to the crib, Lindsay was dead. Nine months old. First grandchild of the family. You know, that means a lot different to me right now than it did then. Like the first one to carry the name of the family. And my stepfather tells me that my mom just came unglued. She just ran down the road screaming. My sister is going crazy here. And mom's going crazy there. And it was upside down. And quickly my one of my uncles stepped in and said, I'm going to fly Kim and Mark back home. And fast forward, I go to this funeral as a 13-year-old boy. My sister is just broken and just wet, weeping. My mom is weeping. And she's dealing with this guilt that the enemy is trying to put on her. That, and my sister's dealing with guilt. I should have never went. And you can imagine all the different emotions that were there. And then I watched them bring this casket out. It was this big. And I remember as a 13-year-old boy trying to 
understand all that was taking place. Like, how can this be a God thing? I fully didn't understand. And it took a while for me to process more. And, but here's what I know. I can fast forward 40 plus years later. And I can stand here today and I can tell you this. That my sister, I'll speak for her. She has told me on multiple occasions, she'll say, Jimmy, I didn't fully understand what was happening. And she says, I was heartbroken. And every birthday that comes around, I weep again. But here's what I know. Based upon the promises of God, I will see Lindsay again. And that keeps me going because Jesus is with her and he's with me. You see, there's nothing that we go through that God hasn't allowed us to walk through so that we can become mature. You see, if my sister had bailed out, if, she had, if my mom had bailed out, if they had turned and run, they would have never completed the test that God had for them. And if you were to sit with my sister, you know what she does now? She comes alongside of, 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 of babies who have died from SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. She sits with them and says, you'll make it. You will make it. Because God comforted me, I can comfort you. Let me just say that if we don't let the test run its course and we don't make our way through it, then we will never accomplish the gospel that says in 2 Corinthians 1 that once we go through a hardship, God comforts us and we make it through, we in turn can sit with someone else. Listen to me. Quit robbing someone else of what you can offer them. Let God run that test so that you can persevere in his strength and then bring him glory. Paul's saying to this group, if there's conversion, it will change the way you live. Why? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and was with him on the cross, lives in us. So he turns, he makes a shift to this church. And then he reminds them of this. He's, he's speaking to this church that has no problems. It's the only church there aren't any problems that he writes to. And then he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And then he says, verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And he says, if you do and when you do, this is a sign to them, the unbelievers, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. Spirit united. Paul knew something 2,000 years ago that still rings true today. Unity wins. We are stronger together as a church. One cancerous cell can destroy the whole body. And then he says the word striving together. I love the word striving because Paul often used, he, he used agriculture, he, he used uh, military themes, and then he used athletic themes. The word striving has, it, it has the, the term athlete in it. It's son of Theo. It's the same word as athlete. He says, so athlete together. 
He wants to remind them that they're on the same team and teammates work towards the same goal and striving to contend in opposition, battle or any conflict, do it together. Make a strenuous athlete team. You got the same name on your jersey, strive together, stand as one, synathlo together, and when you do, you will push back the opposing team and the enemy that's coming your way. I have been parts of many sports teams, tons of sports teams in my life. And often the most talented teams aren't always the ones that would win. But the teams that had a common goal and strive together and use their strengths and their roles together, they gave everything they had towards a common goal and they didn't try to become individuals, those teams always performed better. Individuals don't win championships teams do. About seven weeks ago on uh, kickoff for our Fight Club chapter 22, we were down at the lodge. And two weeks subsequent to that or prior to that, the leaders had gone down and we built a wall. Now this wall is 35 feet by 14 to 16 feet high. We put some half-inch plywood on the front of it. We fastened some basketball hoops and we put a large banner Grit and glory run it back. And at the end of the night, we had men come and just hit the wall and say, I'm in. And then this gauntlet of leaders, they went through, high-fived him. It was a pretty monumental moment that was saying, we began this journey together. This wall was huge. And it was a stark reminder to us, if you drove by the lodge, and I have often down in Syracuse, you could look over and say, I remember, I said I was all in. About two, three weeks ago, Augusta Wind came across Syracuse and across Bonner Lake and blew the wall straighter. I mean, flat on its face. It, it, it smashed the rims on end. And I remember driving by there and was disturbed that the walls were falling. I felt like Nehemiah, we need to rebuild the walls. And so I had this idea, what if, what, what if the men... At our mid-chapter meeting last Friday night, all teamed together, got around this wall, which was weighed thousands of pounds. What if we, we worked together in unity? We, sh we, we would strive together, son of Theo, together in unity. Could we pull it back up? So I had guys bring ropes. I said, bring some 25-foot ropes, and we'll tie some on the back, and we'll get guys on the back, and let's get some two-by-sixes and push from the front. But let's all lift together. I believe if we work together as one, we could accomplish that goal. And you know what? We did. Take a look at this. Go, guys, go, go, go. Bring it back up. This is what happens when 500 guys work together. Yes. Awesome. Praise Jesus. Fight Club 2022. But that's the picture that Paul's given here. If we stand as one under the cause of Jesus Christ, we strive together. We can accomplish more together than we can on our own. And then he says, do not be frightened in any way when opposition comes. 
the Greek here is it, it's a fascinating word. It takes on the concept of being spooked, like a spooked horse. It's, it, it's the picture of a stampede of horses that they get together and they're coming after you. He said, don't be spooked or frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He reminds that opposition is the normal operating procedure facing a Christian. Any great move of God will be contested, he's reminding them. So don't be frightened by it. Don't let it turn you upside down. Yes, it will be hard and difficult. But know that the mechanic God is working out his plan, and on his determined day, it'll be fixed, it'll be worked out for good. So hold on, and in the middle of it, Live as though you believe in the gospel claims that you've taught and have been taught and stand with joy in the middle of it. Amen. People that have often asked me through the years, why has God made marriage so difficult? And I say he hasn't made it difficult. It's because it's opposed. It's because we have an enemy. The same is true for churches. How often does one little seed of discord just blow a place up and the enemy wants to divide? And Paul's saying, don't let the enemy come in. There will be opposition. Don't let him come in and divide up what is going there. The church at Philippi is in love with Christ and there aren't any concerns and issues. Stay united. Opposition will continue to come. And in the midst of the journey, persevere to the end because at the end of it, it will be complete in you and you will be more like Jesus. If I've learned anything in my 60 years of life, this is it. Anything worth living for will be opposed. Don't run from the opposition, Paul said. Stand your ground and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And Satan is crafty at his attacks. He starts fires, and then he runs away, and we, we get consumed with this situation. Genuine believers are proved genuine by the quality of their opposition. Listen to me, if you feel like you're being opposed, praise God. That means you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Great teams always get the opposing team's best game against them. Always, always, always. If you're a great team, I don't care if you haven't won one game all year, that team that's never won a game for some reason hits every shot they've ever taken. Because they get up for that game in their mind, if we can play to the level of that great team, then we're a great team. If we could beat that team, then the standard by which we've been viewed as will change because that standard they have is greatness. They feel like they have beat the best because you are the standard. It's where they want to be. Let me just tell you something that's something we lose sight of. Satan doesn't measure up to you. Do you hear me? You're the standard in Jesus Christ because you're a Christ child. And because Jesus lives in you, Satan will never measure up to you. So all he wants to do is defeat you so that he can feel better about himself and his standard of measure. But hear me out. There is no way he could ever be like you. What you have and what you can do in Christ, he can never do. So quit dropping down to his level of play. 
by complaining and griping and, and believing you can't make it and bailing out and getting incompletes and finish the test, persevere to the end through Christ and be mature in your faith. Satan can't beat you. He will never be able to be who you are. He's in the basement. He's a basement dweller, and we reside in the penthouse in heaven positionally. He will never sit there. He will never have all that you have in Christ. He hasn't inherited what you've inherited as a child of God. Start living like you're a child of the king. How can we do that? Well, the author of Hebrews, the whole New Testament is just filled with these truths. The author of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 12 too. Let's just, just listen to this truth. For the joy set before him, that's Jesus, he endured the cross. The author says, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'll repeat that. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the author says this in Hebrews, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you realize what that means to us today? For the joy set before him. What is that? Have you ever wondered what that was? For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You know what the joy set before him was? That's you and me. It's us. So how does, Pastor Jim, how is that joy set before him? You see, here's what Jesus knew prior to the cross. And this is what he longed for. Because God the Father sent him to earth. He knew that the only way he could ever have a relationship with you and me was if he went to the cross and died for us and was resurrected on the third day. So for the joy set before him, us, he knew that the cross was a piece of that journey and that sacrifice. And if once he got through the cross and died for us and our sins, we could have relationship with him. Oh, come on. That's incredible. Jesus did it for us. And he says, it's worth going to the cross. And for the joy of you, Jim Brown, I can have a relation. And if I don't go there, there's no relationship. When we go through the fire now, he is with us because we are his joy. Do you think God's going to bail on you now after Jesus already went to the cross and already said, it was for joy that I died for you? No, he's going to preserve the saints. He's going to care for the saints. He's going to love his children. He's making a home in heaven for his children. He has every work, the thing worked out. He's going to take our tests and work them out for good. Why? Because where is joy? Like, come on, that's awesome, isn't it? Then he kind of wraps up this little section with the part that we like to tear out of the Bible like Thomas Edison did. But we don't tear it out. Look what it says. Philippians 1, he gets near the end of this little pericope, this paragraph, and he says, verse 29, for it has been granted to you. Oh, oh great. What do we get? <laughs> On behalf of Christ, 
not only to what in him? What's it say? Believe in him, but also to what? All right, let's do it again. Not only to believe in him, but also to what? Wait, 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 wait. I don't like that part. I like the first part. And then Paul says, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You know what the word granted is? Here, here's what the word in the original. It's, it's the Greek word eucharisto. Here's what the word granted means. He says, I have graced you. Richard Guffey, Jesus has graced you and favored you with the gift of suffering. Here, go enjoy it. That's what he did. Like, not only for faith to believe, but I've also given you this. Here, take this gift and open it up. What? Oh, it's so great. Can't wait to open it up. Here, here's your suffering. And it says he granted it as if it's a gift. And it is. Eucharisto. It's, 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 it's grace to us. You see, there is far more than just trusting God. There is suffering for God, and both are gifts from God. Come on, amen? amen. You know, we have birthdays, and you and I have birthdays. We have, for me, it's 1462. I was born. That's my birthday. And then I have, that's when I was born. Then I have a date when I was born again in 67. So these birthdays are very, very special to me. And when I have a birthday, we, I just had my 60th birthday, and Ann went all out, and it was, it, she, it, it was great. And the best part is all our kids were there. That's what I want most on my birthdays. I just want family there. That's all that matters to me outside of Jesus. And so the kids were there, and we celebrated. But at, at, my, at my birthday, they gave me gifts, you know, and I got cards, and I laughed at some of the cards you sent. They were funny for old people. They, I, I laughed my head off. They, they were great. And I even pull them out from time to time and laugh again. They were great. I deserved every one of them. But anyhow, but for my birthday, they gave me gifts. And so they were nice. Like, I wasn't, like, dreading opening up. I wonder what suffering is in here. <laughs> no, they were gifts because they were meaningful. And, 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 and some of them I wear and, and some of them I own. And, but when I was reborn in 67 and every year, this comes around, this date comes around. What gift I get there is different than the gift that makes me happy. It's a gift. And God says, here, Jim, just as a reminder, here's a gift for you. <laughs> open it up. And I open it up, and I don't like it. <laughs> but the Bible says he graced it to us. Why? You see, that gift will make me a better Christ follower. And my Bible and your Bible says that we can walk with joy in that because the mechanic is working it out and he's a perfect mechanic for our good and we will look more like him at the end of it. If you aren't suffering, then you probably aren't following Jesus. So Paul says, suffer like I am, don't run from it, use it to advance the gospel. Often the very circumstances you're asking God to change are the very circumstance he is using to change you. Short and sweet is this, following Jesus will cost you something, but don't ever give up. Can I say something about American Christians? American Christians want the drive-through version of suffering. Get it done. Yet with God, it's meant to be a five-course meal. 
it just lingers, and you sit a while, and you reflect a while, and you chew on it longer, and it takes a long time. But let's be honest, isn't that how we grow the most? Suffering brings us back to what is essential, Jesus. Maybe right now God is trying his best to make us look more like Jesus. Maybe one day, like my sister's able to, and, and quite frank, I can too. And I watched my mom navigate through that too and being able to. We can look back on beautiful Lindsay Aaron Leisure's death, and I can pull up her picture, and we do from time to time. And she was beautiful. And she would be 45, 46, 47 years old now. She was the first grandchild. And I can open up that picture and I can sit with my sister and I could say, Kim, what are you thinking? And she could say, if I had to choose, I wouldn't have chosen that. But I'm stronger because of it. And 47 years later, I can see how God used that to make me more like Don't fill your lives with incomplete tests. Let it run its course. Let God complete it so that you and I can be mature and so that the unbelieving world can say, they got something I don't have and I want that and it is Jesus. Lord, help us. I, I pray over our precious people. God, some of us keep pulling the, the turkey out of the oven. Some of us are still angry at you. Some of us are still in the same place we were six months ago and five years ago. And all we need to do is surrender and believe by faith that what you've done with us and the gift that you've given us is for our good. I pray, God, that we will complete the test so that you can get glory, so that we don't rob someone else of the intended counseling and care that you had in store for us to give to them, that you gave to us in the middle of the hardship because we keep bailing out. Give us finishing power and remind us that when we're in the fire, you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.